If you're still deciding on your spring break getaway, Amtrak's got just the ticket. You can visit cities from D.C. and Philly to New York and Boston, all while enjoying more sustainable travel. Amtrak produces up to 83% less carbon emissions than traveling by car or plane. And did we mention the extra legroom and comfy seats? Book early and save at Amtrak.com. Click or tap the banner. Emissions comparisons vary depending on route and locomotive type. Restrictions may apply. Stop punishing yourself with bland, chalky protein shakes and fuel your fitness with the best protein in the game at GNC. We've got the hottest brands and flavors that legit taste like cookies, your favorite cereal, indulgent desserts, and more. It's on at GNC. First, the bad news. SAP Business AI won't help you generate cubist versions of your family's holiday photos. But it will help you understand which supplier is best to help you roll out your plant-based packaging in Southeast Asia. Or identify the training your junior project manager needs to rise up the ranks. And automate repetitive tasks while you focus on big innovations. So you can be ready for the next opportunity. Revolutionary technology. Real-world results. That's SAP Business AI. What we eat as a whole is going to be more important because when you look at that entire day, the 24 hour, especially we're not talking about the, the like professional athlete here. We're talking about very active Americans who are physically active, whether that's running, strength training, anything else. Obviously what we eat is very important. So I'd focus on the types of foods we're eating, the amounts, and then focus on when we eat. So maybe there are certain tips and tricks that you could adapt that are specific to nutrient timing. Maybe you're not eating anything before you go to the gym for 90 minutes. Let's try to adjust that and see if maybe you feel better. If you notice an improvement in your, in your, um, muscular growth, if, if you eat something prior to that workout and then, you know, same with after maybe you're having a hard workout in the gym, but then you're not eating for five or six hours. Let's, let's try to adjust that and get something in after your workout too. So I, but again, I think it really does matter focusing on the what first, because that's what so many Americans struggle with right now is what do I eat? So I think if we can, we can really address that first and then, and then really focus on the when, because I do notice sometimes I'll, I'll have some clients come in that are not professional athletes, but they'll come in with their, their food recalls and they, they have the, they have the nutrient timing down. They do, but the, what they eat is what they're really kind of getting caught up in. Or, um, they may be adding in like a protein shake post-workout, but their workout was like a bar class or a yoga class. So I think there's a lot of like misinterpretation of, um, you know, who really needs that specific nutrient timing and, and what that looks like. Cause it's going to be different for everybody. Hi, I'm Pete McCall. And thank you for tuning in to this episode of the All About Fitness Podcast. That voice you heard in the beginning is the guest for this episode, performance dietitian, Mrs. Angie Ashy. Before I go into the full introduction for Angie, it's exciting to announce that All About Fitness was recently recognized by Welp Magazine as a top fitness podcast for 2021. Now, this is the fourth or fifth time the podcast has been recognized by a publication, and it's always a great honor. So the team at Wealth Magazine, thank you so much for recognizing All About Fitness. And as a listener of All About Fitness, you can help promote the podcast by taking this simple step. Fill out a quick review. Give it 5, 20, 50 stars, whatever, whatever you think about All About Fitness. Your review makes a difference because it helps others find the podcast. Subscribe and share your favorite episodes with your friends. 
Now let's get back to the introduction. Angie Ashi is a registered dietitian nutritionist. She'll explain what that means in a moment. She has degrees in exercise science and nutrition, as well as physical performance, and operates Elite Nutrition to provide her clients with nutrition solutions. From athletes to executives, how you use your body determines the type and amount of fuel it needs to achieve optimal performance. Angie cares about helping others, but there are only so many hours in the day, which is why she wrote the book, Fuel Your Body, to help you identify the most effective nutrition input for your specific needs. Fuel Your Body helps you understand the roles of macronutrients for promoting tissue repair and energy that your body needs so you can stay active. The best part is that the book provides a number of easy-to-follow recipes for those of us who may struggle a little bit in the kitchen. That, that definitely suits me well. I, I have about four, I don't know about you, I have about maybe four or five recipes that I can cook that are somewhat palatable and that I enjoy. And I've tried a couple of the recipes from Angie's book. So far, I've had the farmer's market egg casserole and the sweet potato uh, turkey chili. Uh, that's sweet potato and turkey chili. And they're really good. And I'm one of these guys where I look at the recipe, I'm like, eh, okay, that looks good. For each of these recipes, I actually followed the recipe and they came out really well. So there might be some hope for me yet. So I really recommend it. If you're looking for recipes that are healthy, that, that meet your fit and active lifestyle, definitely give Fuel Your Body, definitely give it a close look. And here's the thing. When it comes to nutrition, there are really so many fads and gimmicks. And I just, I, I never, there's so many people out there that, that their heart is in the right place, but you want to know they're coming in at it and speaking about the accurate science. That's why when I cover nutrition on the podcast, I go to people who have master's degrees, PhDs, and that RDN, that registered dietitian, um, that qualification. Because it's important that you get nutrition information from people who've studied it appropriately. And yes, I know there are people out there that read a lot about nutrition, but really, you have to understand there's so much about nutrition and the way it affects your body that it's really important to find the people that have the right qualifications. Angie's book, Fuel Your Body, provides you with a lot of information on what goes in your body. However, if you want to know how to move your body, then you can pick up either one of my ebooks, Dynamic Anatomy or Functional Core Training. Both will teach you how your body is designed to move, as well as providing you with a number of workout solutions that can help you burn calories while developing stronger muscles. On this episode of All About Fitness, get ready to learn all about nutrition with Angie Ashey, founder of Elite Nutrition and the author of Fuel Your Body, How to Cook and Eat for Peak Performance. On the All About Fitness podcast, we are speaking with sports dietitian Angie Ashey. Angie, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. How about you, Pete? I am doing excellent. Um, of course, we were just talking for a minute or two before I hit record, and you know, we talked about where we are. So you're based in Florida now, correct? Yes, Clearwater, Florida. Mm-hmm. And and how do you? You've moved around a little bit. Where's been your favorite place to live? Of all the places you've been, where's been your favorite place? You know, that's a really good question. I will say I, I truly enjoyed living in Philadelphia, um, but I think one of my favorite places was Charlotte, North Carolina. I think Charlotte is a gorgeous city. Uh, I think it's definitely growing. There's a lot of great food. You know, I'm a, I am ai love food. It's literally my career. So um, yeah, I, I really liked Charlotte a lot. Cool. And you're getting settled into Clearwater. I'm sure Clearwater is probably, it's been, it's probably been a transition. 
Yes, it has been. And we went from, I'm originally from Lincoln, Nebraska. So uh, I believe last week they had some snow there. So I have have not missed that. I know in (laughs) April, it's a a little late for that. But um, yeah, I I do love Florida too. It's it's, it's great. Things move a little slower here, I feel, and it's gorgeous weather. So can't complain. And and there's nothing wrong with that. Now you're a sports dietitian. and, And the question I always like asking guests is, what got you interested in the subject of nutrition? I mean, why when you're looking at all the different things you could study as a young woman, why, why did you pick nutrition? Yeah, so when I was 14, um, I so freshman in high school, I was a very competitive swimmer. And so I was struggling with some stomach issues where I would get in the water and pretty much immediately just have an immediate side stitch. Um, and it was definitely impacting my performance. I wasn't making any progress in my events. Uh, and so it was, it was something that I had a conversation with, um, with my dad, who's actually, uh, he's a sports medicine doctor Mm. and he had kind of mentioned to me something about nutrition and, you know, the types of foods might have an impact because he worked at a university. There was a sports dietitian on staff. So I thought, Oh, well, that's weird. Well, at the time I was eating a junior Whopper value meal from Burger King (laughs) every time right before I swam in the pool. And so I switched it up. Wait, 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 (laughs) you're eating. So that was your pre-competition nutrition. That was my pre-workout. Yep. Your pre-workout was a Okay. Sorry. We'll, we'll come back to that. So, all right. Anyway, I was 14. All right. So it was, it was, at, it was actually at Southeast high school is where I, I swam often. So we were just talking about that before. Um, but yeah, so would stop at Burger King, have that, and then, and then go to my swim. And so then I thought I'd switch it up. Okay. I'll just do some plain old pasta. I'll just, I'll do some penne noodles. I'll do grilled chicken breast. And immediately, I mean, literally that night I felt better with, with my swim. I noticed a, a huge improvement and I thought, well, this is crazy. Just making this one switch. Like how can that, how is everyone not doing this? Like, how does everyone not know about this? And so I, um, asked my dad if I could shadow the sports dietitian when I was 15 years old, um, at the athletic department. And so I got the opportunity to see what he does and learn more about what the career really was like, uh, learn about sports nutrition. And I, it's just been my passion ever since. Well, and let me ask you, did you know, I mean, this is University of Nebraska-Lincoln, right, where your father worked and, and where you shadowed, but do you know the relationship between Lincoln and the strength and conditioning community? Oh, absolutely. I mean, no, Boyd Epley, yeah. I think he's still uh, Emeritus. I think he's Emeritus at Lincoln. Boyd Epley, and then you've got, um, I mean, Dave Ellis. There's, It just goes back such a history of, of nutrition and, um, and strength and conditioning, so... Yeah, yep. I definitely was well aware of that. It took me a while to be more familiar with it. You know, not at, fi- at 15, I didn't quite understand. Well, and for listeners, what I'm referring to is, is Boyd Epley, I think was a track. He, he was ja- he was a thrower. I think he threw javelin at track in Lincoln in the 70s. And he would go to these international meets and he would see the Soviets and the Eastern, Eastern Bloc just dominate the Americans. And he'd wonder why they were doing so much better. Well, they're doing strength and conditioning. And here in America... We thought we thought weight training was only for big muscles. We we told athletes, and, and you, I think you'll find this hard to believe, Angie. Back in the '70s and even in the early '80s, we told athletes not to lift weights because we thought it would impede their performance. And it was Lincoln, it was University of Nebraska Lincoln. When when Boyd started learning this, he stayed there and he became one of the first strength coaches. And that's one of the reasons why Nebraska football was so dominant for a period of time because they were one of the first football programs to really implement strength and conditioning. So, sorry, history lesson, but I, it just occurred to me, like as you said that, that you shattered the sports dietitian there, mm-hmm. that there's, there's a legacy there. And that's pretty – There is, So that's yeah. what got you interested. So that's what got you interested in nutrition. 
Yeah, they were definitely the pioneers. And I mean, when you look at Dave Ellis too, like he really truly was one of the original sports dietitians in, in collegiate settings. So, and now he's actually back with the university of Nebraska Lincoln, which is pretty cool. Um, but yeah, so at the time it, it was not Dave Ellis. Uh, it was actually, um, someone named James Harris, um, that I got the opportunity to shadow, but it was a really good experience and it obviously led me down this, this path. And now it's, it's my career. And you went and you did your master's degree too, right? You did like a, a double master's degree. So I did a dual bachelor's in exercise science and dietetics because okay. I, I honestly, I loved fitness from day one too. So while I was finishing up college to save money for grad school, I worked as a personal trainer and that's how I really got interested in that one-on-one consulting side of things, um, getting to really connect and, and counsel um, the client. And then my master's is in uh, nutrition and physical performance. So um, that was at St. Louis University, not Nebraska. Fitness is having the ability to do what you want to do when you want to do it. If you want to learn more about exercise, how to design your own workout programs, and how being fit can help you to manage the aging process and enhance your quality of life, then here are a few online education courses for you. Anyone can take these courses to learn more about how exercise affects your body, and fitness professionals can earn continuing education credits for ACE, AFA, and NASM. Dynamic Anatomy will teach you how your muscles and fascia work together to move your body so you can identify the best exercises for your goals. Dynamic Anatomy will teach you more about how specific muscles in your body function when you move. The course is approved for two continuing education credits for ACE, AFA, and NASM. The online course is $29. The ebook itself is only $7. Exercise program designed for the Fountain of Youth online course teaches the science of how endurance, strength training, and explosive power exercises can not only give you a strong, healthy body, but could actually help slow down the effects of the aging process so that you can find your Fountain of Youth and extend your lifespan. The online course is $49 and is approved for 0.3 ACECs, 0.4 NASM CECs, and 4 AFA CECs. The ebook itself, which just gives an overview of the science, is available for only $7. Being fit means that you have choices for how you can live your life. Fitness is freedom. Each of these resources is created to help you learn how to use exercise and fitness to enhance your quality of life and extend your lifespan. The information is below in the show notes or at PeteMcCallFitness.com. Now let's get back to the interview. And, and now what your qualification is, because I, I like... Anytime I have an RDN on, Angie, I always like you to kind of explain what the RDN qualification is and why it's so important that if a listener out there is going to go seek nutrition advice, why they look for somebody with the appropriate qualifications. Sure. Yeah. So nutritionist is such a, um, a general term that a lot of people can just become a nutritionist getting in, let's say a weekend certification online, or it might be even as long as let's say like eight or 12 week coursework, but it's typically an online setting where you're just kind of learning the basics of nutrition. It's usually led by, um, some, some outside company, not necessarily like a university. Um, so it doesn't really give you that in-depth coursework and it definitely does not give you that one-on-one experience, clinical experience, especially as what a registered dietitian goes through. So to become an RD, you have to get a dietetics, um, 
you have to get a bachelor's degree in dietetics. And then that kind of crosses off your coursework to be able to apply for a dietetic internship. And the dietetic internship um, has become very competitive just because the interest in becoming a dietitian has definitely grown. So there's a lot more demand. And so it does get really competitive. They do look at your experience as well. So not only do you finish that coursework and apply for an internship and hope to get matched, but you also want to have a pretty good resume as far as some outside experience. So like for me, when I was, cause I often get asked this and I'm curious if there are any listeners that are interested in becoming a dietitian. Um, for me personally, I worked as a, um, a dietetic intern at the university, um, athletic department to get some more hours. So I just kind of shadowed the dietitians there. Uh, it was all volunteer. I did not get paid, but, um, that gave me some good experience and a good taste of that co- collegiate setting and what that would look like working in that type of a job. Um, and then of course the outside stuff, the personal trainings and things that didn't necessarily really apply to the, to the dietetic internship, but still applied as far as that consulting experience. And then, um, after you match to a dietetic internship, that's a 1200 hour supervised internship. So you have a really vast, um, you know, a, a, you have the clinical experience, you have the food service experience, um, you work in general settings in schools uh, with the community, community nutrition. So it's it's a it's a wide range of environments t- because dietitians really do have a lot of different roles. There's dietitians in a lot more settings than I think people realize. Um, so then after that, you do have to, now it's changed over the past couple of years, they are changing it. So now you do have to have a master's degree mm. um, to become a dietitian. So it used to be that you could just finish a dietetic internship and then take sit for the board exam and become an RD. But now you have to have your master's degree before then sitting for the RD exam. Um, and then now, becoming a dietitian. Let me ask you this, this question, if I can. Why is it so important? Because and the reason why I ask this is you see so much out there, people like, well, I'm a nutritionist or I've done this qualification, but why is it so important to have the background that you have, like to go through a four-year program, to do an internship, mm-hmm. to sit for a board certification like the registered dietitian? Why is that so important? What what happens if, if food, if people do food wrong? I, that's not a great mm-hmm. question, but I think you understand what I'm asking is why is it so important to get to dial in and do the right nutrition as opposed to just following somebody on Instagram because they look good? Man, that is such a good question. I know exactly how you're like trying to word it and and ask it. So it's the clinical nutrition. It all goes back to that medical nutrition therapy, which is so much of our coursework. And you take, for example, someone, and this this is one thing that's been really irritating to me is there's an online nutrition certification where you can become a hormone coach. And that can be really detrimental because you have someone who has, say, PCOS or they have endometriosis or they have some type of uh, maybe autoimmune disease. Maybe they have Hashimoto's and you have someone who's just taken this online course. They don't truly know the ins and outs of the medical nutrition therapy size of things and um, different drug and food interactions if they're on certain medications. And again, the, the benefit or detrimental effect that can happen from foods on performance. It's just, it's, it's again, kind of that just lack of knowledge tied with 
the lack of experience that I can, that I feel like can be um, pretty detrimental. And I will say this doesn't go for all nutritionists. I have met some outstanding nutritionists. I mean, like John Berardi, for example, he has started precision nutrition. I think nothing but the, the best of him. And I think he's definitely one of the best in the field and he's not necessarily a dietitian. So I do think that, you know, there are people that are, very highly educated. They have that, maybe they have a master's degree or a PhD or something else in clinical nutrition. I think that definitely helps um, for sure with, with making them a, um, a better candidate. Well, yeah. And I know in John's case, I met him a long time ago and I had him on a podcast maybe two years ago. In John's case, he has a, he has a PhD and he's, he's looked at behavior change just as much as nutrition. And as you were saying that, Angie, it kind of occurred to me. And I like what you said. There are some people out there who've studied nutrition and they're passionate and their goal is to help people. I think mm-hmm. I want to point that out there that everybody's goal is to help people, but there's a huge difference because what popped into mind is there's a big difference between going to medical school and spending four years of medical school and then doing a residency and then staying home and watching, you know, watching five seasons of house and think you can answer medical questions <laughs> or watching all the seasons of ER and think, yeah. you know, what you're doing. I mean, it's not, not as clear, clear cut, but there is a very, and the reason why I ask that is because people, there could be reactions with food that people might not understand, or yep. we need the macronutrients. So to sit there and say, well, based on this one study, maybe we'll cut out all of a certain macronutrient. Now, what, what I like about your book, Fuel Your Body, I'm going to mess that up. Let me, let me restate <laughs> that. What I like about your book, Fuel Your Body, is you do, you do one thing I like seeing in the world of nutrition. And I also like doing this with exercise, is you have uh, some, some common myths, myths in there. Mm-hmm. What are one or two of your favorite myths that people kind of have or that people hear about mm-hmm. nutrition that you'd like to take the opportunity to dispel? Oh man, I think it all ties with carbohydrates. So whether that's, and you saw this, I'm sure in the performance nutrition myths section of my, of my book, but I talk about that keto diet is superior um, or optimal for performance. That's definitely one myth that's, that's going around right now. And as, and same with that low carb diet in general is going to be better for, uh, for performance. And what we're finding in the literature is that's not necessarily the case. It may be a potential option for, I always like to give the example of like an ultra runner, someone that's performing at a more lower intensity for a longer duration. But when we look at that, which it's actually interesting, I was going back and listening to some of your old um, podcasts and I saw you had Brad Schoenfield on, you had some outstanding researchers on here. So um, I'm very honored to even be on on here, honestly, but but they have a lot of research on it that that really shows too that just that the impact that low carbohydrate availability can have on performance and how, um, you know, we're not really finding much of a benefit per se, if an athlete is on a keto diet, it's just more of an alternative. So it's almost like I would describe it as an inefficient way to perform. Like it's, you can, you can perform on a keto diet, but it's not really the most sufficient way. Well, and that, that's where I want to take a moment here because there is a difference between regular nutrition and for like health and fitness. Like mm-hmm. if, if I'm not a competitive athlete or if I'm not going to be doing X amount of hours of physical activity where I need to be performing at my highest capability, it's one thing to have nutrition just for general mm-hmm. health and fitness. But why is that so different for athletes? I mean, what is it about people that, that have to move their body or even let's take, the, let's take a runner because there's not a huge population of professional athletes out there in the world. We'll be 100% honest about that. Mm-hmm. But with, with looking at professional athletes, it's very easy to quantify their performance, right? They either play well or they don't play well. But let's take somebody who maybe is going to be running one or two 10Ks races a month. And I think that's 
pretty average. Here in San Diego, people do a lot more than that. But let's say the average individual might do like a 110K, 15K, maybe one half marathon in a six-week period. I think that's mm-hmm. pretty would be pretty consistent for the average recreational runner. Why is it mm-hmm. so important to be fueling the body with all the macronutrients where you're going to be doing that type of physical activity? Yeah, that's a great question. And and it also depends a little bit on gender too. Gender plays a role here with the hormones. But um, so I'll talk a little bit about both female and male. But um, with runners, you do run the risk of low energy availability. And so I talk a lot about underfueling. And I'm sure you read in my book too that nourishment over numbers and obsessing over calories and macronutrients. But uh, with runners, one of the most common things I see is just that low energy availability. Wow. Can't say that availability. So their energy expenditure basically is just so much higher than their intake. And so with female athletes, we're finding amenorrhea. So that lack of menstrual cycle, we're, we're finding increased um, risk of low bone density, of course, mood um, disorders, depression, irritability, and so on, increased risk of injury. Same kind of goes for men as well. And with male runners too, and especially with low intakes of fat, we're finding decreased testosterone levels. So it's important, like you just mentioned a few minutes ago about incorporating all three of the macronutrients and incorporating everything. If you only focus on say protein, um, which of course is very important for performance, but if maybe you're under fueling in carbohydrates or you're under fueling in fat, that's going to be detrimental to performance. Even if someone is just doing, like you said, the, the half marathons here and there, the 10 Ks here and there, I would consider that like a recreational runner. Um, that's someone who still needs to really focus on those three macronutrients because that could set them up for um, decreases in, in performance or overall health too. Well, and I'm glad you said that about amenorrhea because as a personal trainer, I worked with a couple younger women and they're like maybe mid-20s to early 30s at the time. And there was one woman who was so chronically overtrained. She would exercise about 90 minutes a day and I'm sure her nutrition and she didn't eat much at all. And so, and I see this, right? Because a lot of people will, will, will do this. I'm going to sign up for a marathon or I'm going to sign up for a half marathon. That's going to be my fitness goal. And what happens is they start increasing their training volume. And what listeners can't see is I'm increasing my arm like the, <laughs> the, the intensity is going up. But they start increasing their training volume, Angie. At the same time, what do they usually do? If they're trying to get in shape, if they're trying to increase their training volume, what tends to happen at the same time? Right now they're under feeling. They're going to be eating less than what they were before. They may be restricting carbohydrates. They may be restricting fat. They may be restricting a little bit of both. They might also be under feeling in protein too. A lot of runners, it's fascinating. Uh, and this might actually be a Brad Schoenfield study or maybe Alan Aragon. I can't remember. Um, so don't quote me on that. But they recently um, had a study that was showing that endurance athletes actually need a lot more protein than once thought. Because when I was in school, it was taught that, you know, if you're an endurance athlete, eat 1.2 to 1.6 grams per kilogram per day. And if you're a strength, eat you know, 1.7, 2.2 or whatever else. And so it was always that endurance athlete needing the lower end. But what we're finding is that actually those endurance athletes need that high protein above 1.6 grams per kilogram. And a lot of times that's even hard for some runners to get. So especially if you're, um, I think I mentioned that I did mention this too in my book, uh, in the post-workout section, I mentioned a little bit about the hormone changes that can happen with hunger levels after a workout and how for some runners, especially intense cardio, that can really crush your, your hunger hormones. And now it makes it harder to actually ingest food or, you know, take in a meal. So that's something where I suggest smoothie recipes and different things like that, that might be easier way to get the calories in that you really need. 
Well, you just knocked out the rest of my outline, so I think we're. <laughs> but 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 what I like about that, Angie, is because I w- kind of went. I didn't read the entire book. Be a hundred percent honest, mm-hmm. but I did kind of go through an overview. And I want to come back to one thing that you said, though, because I told you I finished an article yesterday. I just wrote an article on testosterone and how exercise influences testosterone. So, what is it about? Why is it, especially for guys my age? Why are those healthy fats, those poly and monounsaturated fats, mm-hmm. why is that so important? And, and for guy, if you're my age, over the age of 35, I need you to listen carefully to, for this for a second. So why, why are those healthy fats so important, Angie? Yeah, well, and you tied in that you tied in the strength training piece too. Those really do go hand in hand. The strength training, as we age, of course, the testosterone levels in men declines. I think it is what like one to three percent per decade. Is that about right? Something it, like I've that. I've seen one to three percent per year, one to three percent per decade, per and, and mm-hmm. I'm sure it's it just has to do with lack of activity and, and mm-hmm. lack of stimulus. But yeah, sorry, sorry. Yeah, yeah. Either way, we know it's going down as we yeah. age, <laughs> whatever that percent is. Um, but yeah, the fats do play a role. Obviously fat regulates our hormones. And so when we think of testosterone, obviously that is a hormone. And that's also where vitamin D becomes very important too. And we look at the fat soluble vitamins, like vitamins A, D, E, K, they need fat to be absorbed by the body. So omega-3s also play a huge role in anti-inflammatory fats. They're anti-inflammatory. So if you're going to be tying in the strength training to that, then that's also really important to incorporate those into our diet as well. We as Americans tend to eat a lot of saturated fats, more so than like you mentioned, the mono, the polyunsaturated fats. So if we can kind of transition to those healthier fats, that's overall going to be better, not only for testosterone levels, but for our cardiovascular health, for for overall health, preventing uh, comorbidities and so on. Do you hear that? No, you barely hear a thing. This is a new Accelerate percussion massage gun by Nimble. I've been using this for the past few weeks and absolutely love it. First, as you can tell, it's not that noisy. If you've ever been in the gym and wondered who the heck is using an air hammer only to find out it's one of those massage guns, you know how loud they can be. This one is super quiet, which means you can use it around other members of your family when they're asleep, either late at night or early in the morning. I saw the first one of these back in 2007, and the cost was more than $2,000, and the prices come down substantially. The way a massage gun works is it activates the muscle spindles and the Golgi tendon organs in your muscle tissue to help relieve tension. There's some great research out there. I've read it. Trust me. I am loving this massage gun, and if you love to exercise, if you love to work out, if you love to push yourself, and you want good sources of recovery so you can get back to that next workout... I highly, highly recommend the Accelerate Massage Gun by Nimble. There'll be a link down below in the show notes. Because you're, you listen to All About Fitness, because you're an All About Fitness listener, use code AAF20. That's AAF20 to save 20% on the purchase of an Accelerate Nimble Percussion Massage Gun of your own. If you're looking for a great source of recovery, I highly recommend it. Information is down below in the show notes. Let's get back to the interview. Well, and I think, and that's, thank you for saying that because I think that's so important that as I've read that, and it's like you take a look at the diet and we need those healthy fats because that's a component of HDL cholesterol and HDL cholesterol is a component of testosterone. So I look at that as it's like, hey, guys are out there paying 10 or 15 bucks for a little blue pill for for Mm -hmm. maybe a a weekend date night when in reality (laughs) they need to go lift something heavy and look at their diet a little bit. And I know that, Mm -hmm. but I just want to raise that awareness a little bit. 
Now, the other you referenced a couple other hormones, and these are relatively relatively new on the scene. They're not new hormones, obviously. They've been in the body a long time, but we're more aware of them now, and that's ghrelin and leptin. Mm-hmm. So, what what roles do ghrelin? Because you talked about the hung, you talked earlier about hormones related to hunger, but what are ghrelin and leptin, and, and why should we we be aware of them? Yeah, good question. So ghrelin is that hormone that um, makes us hungry and leptin is the hormone that helps make us feel satisfied or full, so satiety. So uh, what we're finding too, it's it's very much tied to um, blood sugar levels too. So that's why things like protein and fiber play such a role in our hunger level, our hunger hormones. And if we consume that protein and fiber consistently throughout the day, we notice better balances in these hunger hormones. Um, but exercise can of course throw some of the these off as well as um, peptide YY. So it can make it almost feel like we are um, like we're satisfied, like we're not, like we're not hungry after, let's say like a nine mile, 10 mile run, how, especially longer. I feel like endurance athletes or long distance athletes notice this more. Um, but if they're, they're going for a long run, they may feel afterwards, like, Oh, my appetite's just completely shut off. And a lot of that goes back to those hormones, um, that are impacted by exercise. And so that's again, where it can be a little bit challenging to get in that nutrient timing specific, you know, recommendations of you know, consuming adequate protein and carbohydrates after your exercise if you have no appetite. Well, and that comes in, well, that, that again, I'm glad we're following the outline specifically. I don't have it laid out like this, but, mm-hmm. be, and I like that because I want people to be aware that we can regulate those hormones. But when it comes to performance eating, Angie, and this is the one, the one thing I've always wondered about myself, but when it comes to performance eating, which is more important, what we eat or when we eat, or is it a balance of the two? Because I, and, and, and if you could talk about the need for like nutrient timing in relation to, mm-hmm. I'm not just talking about an easy workout, but I'm talking about those two or three hard workouts that we should be doing a week. How does nutrition tie into be, being able to support that optimal performance? Gosh, that's a really good question to like break it down, like those specific, what or when. And I would say that what we eat as a whole is going to be more important because when you look at that entire day, the 24 hours, especially we're not talking about the the like professional athlete here. We're talking about very active Americans who are physically active, whether that's running, strength training, anything else, obviously what we eat is very important. So I'd focus on the types of foods we're eating, the amounts, and then focus on when we eat. So maybe there are certain tips and tricks that you could adapt that are specific to nutrient timing. Maybe you're not eating anything before you go to the gym for 90 minutes. Let's try to adjust that and see if maybe you feel better. If you notice an improvement in your, in your, um, muscular growth, if, if you eat something prior to that workout and then, you know, same with after maybe you're having a hard workout in the gym, but then you're not eating for five or six hours. Let's, let's try to adjust that and get something in after your workout too. So I, but again, I think it really does matter focusing on the what first, because that's what so many Americans struggle with right now is what do I eat? So I think if we can, we can really address that first and then, and then really focus on the when, because I do notice sometimes I'll, I'll have some clients come in that are not professional athletes, but they'll come in with their, their food recalls and they, they have the, they have the nutrient timing down. They do, but the, what they eat is what they're really kind of getting caught up in. Or, um, they may be adding in like a protein shake post-workout, but their workout was like a bar class or a yoga class. So I think there's a lot of like misinterpretation of, um, you know, who really needs that specific nutrient timing and, and what that looks like. Cause it's going to be different for everybody. 
Well, it's funny you mentioned bar because I had a couple of the, the kind of the founders, of the American bar movement on not too long ago. And uh, th- these are instructors, Angie. They're in their 60s and they're in amazing shape. That's amazing. They, they, it's they, hard. Uh, they've been teaching bar for more than 30 years. So it's funny how, how that I never really paid much attention to it, but I became friends with somebody in the bar community and now it becomes more. I, I just see it mm-hmm. and hear it more and more. Just side note, is that, is that one of the workouts that you do? Like, what do you normally do for, for exercise? I don't. I don't. I do strength training, honestly. Um, I would say, I would. I guess I would, if I had to classify it, it would be HIT training. Okay. Um, I just like that style, the the different circuits and going from different, you know, cardio to strength. Um, yeah. Okay. No, I guess I'm trying to ask that question more of guests. Like, what do you do for your own workouts? You know, mm-hmm. if it's, if it's appropriate now, one thing I want to ask about, because I thought you, you did an interesting call out on this because for years we've heard people say, well, athletes, you know, must eat really healthy. They might have an egg white omelet, or I've been at, at fitness conferences where, you know, you're going through the omelet line at the hotel and you see everybody, Oh, I want egg white omelet, egg white omelet. Why are egg yolks? You call out that egg yolks are are, are important. And that kind of, I, I think that's one of those myths or one of those kind of like little food things we get in our head. Why why is the whole egg and what, what's important about egg yolks? Yeah, gosh. And this is funny you bring that up. I obviously have that written down in my book about you should include the whole egg. Um, but then just a few weeks ago, um, a, a new study was put out that looked at the muscular um the differences in muscular growth and repair after a workout for those that ate egg whites versus egg yolks. And they oh, really? actually found improvements. Yeah. Um, they actually found improvements in the group that ate the egg yolks versus the actual eggs. And I will, or egg whites. And I will say it was matched for protein too. So they matched the same amount of protein per. So it wasn't like a amount protein type deal. It was more so the components of the egg yolks is is what they came to believe. But the reason it's so important is obviously the components in that egg yolk. So there's vitamin A, there's vitamin D, there's um, of course, lutein and zeaxanthine were essential uh, antioxidants. There's so many different um, vitamins and minerals that are found in the egg uh, yolk of the egg that you don't get if you just eat the the white. And I I thought that was... Years ago, um, way before kids, my my ex-wife and I, when we lived in uh, downtown D.C., she was making breakfast one morning and she had made herself an egg white omelet. And I always give her a hard time about this to this day. And she took all the egg yolks from her omelet. <laughs> so I basically had like two eggs and like four or five egg yolks. And she gave go. me like an egg yolk. And I thought it was just, but anyway, it was just so funny. So I'm going to have to circle back and tell her that she was actually helping my health. I thought that was, it was, it was just one of those things. I'm like, wait, why does this taste funny? And she's kind of like, well, I didn't know if you would notice. I'm like, no, of course. Anyway, it was one of those things. <laughs> didn't know if you would notice the six. The Sig's egg yolks. <laughs> why, why is mine so yellow and yours is so white? Um, but yeah. but then let's, let's, let's keep going down this. One of the things, the other thing that the reason why it's so important to work with somebody with a qualification like yourself with the RDN is that eating the wrong diet can increase inflammation in the body, mm-hmm. right? How does, how does a diet increase inflammation and why is that so bad? Yeah. So what we're finding is specifically added sugar. Now I should say there's a certain amount that of course we can have in our diet. So I think the typical recommendation right now is around, it's recommended to keep it less than 25 grams per day of added sugar. Of course, most Americans eat quite a bit more than that. But um, what we're finding is just the Western diet in general is very high in added sugar. It's very high in saturated fat. 
And it's very, it's more so about the foods that we're not eating, honestly, than what we are. Because when we look, and I think I have a a quote on this too, um, only 9% of Americans, and that includes children too, are meeting the vegetable and fruit recommendations per day. And we know the impact that fresh produce, frozen produce has on our health. So I think, you know, increasing our antioxidant intake, uh, polyphenols, um, flavonoids, those are all so important for our overall health. We see tremendous benefit, even, um, you know, benefits as far as preventing cancers specifically and that are tied to these, these antioxidants. So it's more so just increasing your intake of those foods. And I think that will help us so much as we, so many Americans struggle with chronic inflammation. And, and I think that's important. And why, why is inflammation bad? I mean, cause, and the reason why I say this is because a little bit of inflammation is normal, right? I mean, yep. that's, that's mm-hmm. kind of the healing process. But why is chronic inflammation? How does that affect the body? Chronic inflammation, that's truly what's, what many diseases stem from, like Alzheimer's, dementia. Chronic inflammation is tied to rheumatoid arthritis, so many other, um, so many other diseases and disorders. So it's not like the acute inflammation. like I'll, And that's a really good point that you brought up because acute inflammation is necessary. So inflammation is such a – it's like thrown around everywhere right now. And I think it's so misleading. And athletes can be like – you know, not understand that actually acute inflammation is, is important after a workout. That's why it's not recommended that you take a, you know, really intense NSAID or something after a workout, you want your body to be able to have that acute inflammation response. So that's not what I'm talking about when it comes to inflammation. It's more so that, that chronic inflammation that sets in over time from whether that's a sedentary lifestyle, a very poor diet, smoking, alcohol, or kind of a combination of a few of those things. Stress is big too. Well, I like that how you call out sedentary because I one of the more popular, and I'm surprised by this, one of the more popular interviews I've done recently is with, um, now I'm totally blank, uh, Dr. Herman Ponser. He's a, he was an anthropologist from Duke University, but what he did, he became a metabolic. He calls himself a metabolic anthropologist because he went and he studied the Hadza tribe in North Tanzania, and he and a, he and a couple other doctors were there and studying them. And what they were doing, Angie, is they were studying this like nomadic tribe and looking at their energy costs per day, like how many calories did they burn? And mm-hmm. the women would go out and they would, the women would dig for berries, for grubs, and they would do one thing. The men would go out and hunt and they, between them and they're walking between like five and 10,000 meters a day. Mm-hmm. And so they're and their caloric. It's just funny how when they look at that, everybody makes a big deal about the paleo diet. And but you also have to look at the paleo lifestyle where we were a lot more active, where we were much more active. Where I'm going to go with this is as a new, as a new, as a dietitian, as somebody who looks at this, it's not possible to be active throughout the day. But what role does nutrition play throughout the day in supporting an active lifestyle? Meaning you have this movement of intermittent fasting, you have people that that need to fuel the body. What is like, what are some healthy snacks or how can we look at structuring a day so that we're properly satiated and properly fueled for, for the normal activity we might do throughout the day? Mm, yeah, that's a really good question. And kind of tying back to, is that the author of Burn? Did he yeah, write that's Burn. Yeah, Burn? That, that, yeah, that's okay. Burn, yeah. Um, yeah, so somewhat familiar. I haven't read it yet, but, but I will. Um, I recognize the name. But so kind of going back to that, 
it, I would say if you can increase your non-exercise activity thermogenesis, so your NEAT, so that's part of your total daily energy expenditure, doing little can things I, throughout can I pause, the day. Can I pause for one yes. second? Because yes. I've called out, I've, I've done one or two things on my quick fit tips about NEAT. So I want yeah. to know I'm not just making it up. <laughs> so, <laughs> so you reference non-activity. So sorry, but, but keep, but talk about not. I, so I you've talked about this before. Okay. So you've talked about this before. Yeah. So yeah. It's, it's very important to, to do that kind of consistently throughout the day. I think that's not only going to help with a total energy expenditure for the day, but it's also going to help with your energy levels. I mean, getting up and moving around is definitely going to help with blood sugar regulation and so on. But as far as nutrition, cause that was your question, nutrition specific, um, I would say protein and fiber. We're seeing that protein and fiber have a big impact on what's called the thermic effect of food. So looking back at that TDEE or that total daily energy expenditure, when you look at protein and fiber compared to say carbs and fat, those two have a larger, um, they require more energy to be digested. So in doing so, you also improve your, um, your satiety levels. So I would suggest as far as a snack option, you asked good snack options to think of the two P's is what I call them protein and produce. So if you compare something that's rich in protein with something that's rich in that is produce, so like a fruit or a vegetable, then you know that you're getting your protein and your fiber. Obviously, there's going to be some instances where that's not always feasible, or maybe it's like a combination of the two. Maybe it's in an energy bar or something like that that has has a little bit of like, you know, maybe there's dates in the bar, but there's also a pea protein or something like that that's, that's combining to get you both of those in one. Or maybe it's as simple as hard-boiled eggs with an apple or a string cheese with with orange or something like that, but really trying to pair the two together instead of just having something that's very high in carbohydrates, very high in added sugar, or something that's strictly only say saturated fat. I'm doing, I'm doing my little Snoopy happy dance because a couple of my favorite <laughs> snacks are hard-boiled eggs and apples or hard-boiled eggs and grapes. Same. <laughs> or um, celery and peanut butter. Like I love. Oh, that's a good one too. Like mm -hmm. one of my go-tos right now is I've been going through, I've been doing celery and peanut butter. I don't, like I'll go through phases, right? Where we have different snacks. So yes. I like the fact that, 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 okay, good. I'm, I'm doing that part, you know, cause <laughs> like we always worry, right? Cause we always, yeah. especially those of us, I would put myself in that, like I, I know a little bit about nutrition, mm -hmm. but I know it's always changing, which is why I always enjoy these conversations with some of your, your qualification. And for years, Angie, I've looked at nutrition where I've always tried to guide people towards you want to be a nice, solid, high B student. Right? Yes, I think that's a good good way to describe it. There's no A pluses here. And it, honestly, in some cases, the A pluses that I see with my athletes, they develop what's called orthorexia. And that's a very serious, obviously, condition that's con that's a healthy obsession with or an obsession with healthy eating. And that can lead to low energy availability. It can lead to so many other horrible things. It's, it's physically just, and mentally just draining. Um, so that brings up a really good point that yes, you should not aim to be perfect. I talk a little bit more about that in my nourishment over numbers, part of my book where I talk about that food is nourishment and it, it shouldn't be so much about the calories and the macros as much as it is about how is this food nourishing me, whether that's vitamins, minerals, different components it contains, or maybe it's, maybe it's not so rich in any of those things. Maybe it's a family tradition or it's, it's more so for your mental, your social health where, you know, it's okay to have uh, a drink with your friends every now and then it's okay to have a certain dessert that you love, you know, with your family, if it brings you back to a childhood memory. Well, and I, there's this big movement right now going on in fitness is where we're trying to get away from like, 
working out, like if we're working out in the class on a Saturday or a Sunday, I might say, hey, sweat out whatever you did last night or sweat out, you know, you're trying to get away from like using exercise as punishment. But one of the things I like to think about though is it takes about 100 calories, give or take, to move a mile. If we mm-hmm. walk, we run, it's about 100, right? I mean, that's about, you've probably seen that too, right? The rough, yeah. Uh-huh. It's a rough estimate. And so I always try to point that out to people. It's like, look, it's not that you want to punish yourself with exercise, but if you are going to have that piece of cake for dessert, nope, understand you're now taking in extra calories. What's your plan mm-hmm. for getting ready? You know, are you active? Do you have an active lifestyle? Then having a piece of cake on a Friday night or at an event isn't going to be that big of a deal because you have a, it's kind of like the opposite of buying something, right? Mm-hmm. I'm not going to buy something I can't afford because anyway, I, I try to point yeah. that out with people that I get what you're saying. have something. What's that? I get what you're saying. Yeah. If movement is part of your life, then that's going to make it a lot easier for you to enjoy those other foods that may otherwise add up as far as calories go. And if someone's goal is body composition, obviously I have that whole section about like energy needs, estimating your energy needs. If someone's goal is to improve their body composition and lose fat, then you do have to focus a little bit more on, on your movement and, and what you're taking in. And, and that my, you know, pers- personally, I mean, my whole goal is I'm in my late forties. I turned 49 this year. My whole goal is just to stay active throughout the aging process. And mm-hmm. I, that's where as I get older, it's like every year I kind of like, okay, what can I do How personally, like uh, getting older, I know, okay, because like a lot of people, if I find I get off my, my normal kind of diet for a couple of days, I feel like crud, to be honest, <laughs> yeah. you know, you, 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 like the wrong way. Now, what, when you wrote Fuel Your Body, what was who is your primary audience? I know you're, you're a sports dietitian, you're a sports performance, um, you do sports performance nutrition, but with Fuel Your Body, who did you have in mind when you started write, to write that book? Gosh, I had so many different clients in mind because I've worked with such a vast, like such a wide range of clients, everything from high school athletes that are trying to get drafted or trying to, um, you know, sign with a school, with a college. And I've worked with minor league athletes, with uh, major league athletes, with professional athletes. I've worked with um, runners and with athletes that are obviously just doing this recreational activity. Um, And one thing that always kind of came up in our discussion discussions was they, they wanted almost like a, like a guide, like something that was educational as far as sports nutrition goes. They wanted that, that sports nutrition, like, what should I eat? Kind of what you mentioned, what should I eat and when they wanted that, but they also wanted the healthy recipes to get them there too. And so I was having a really hard time finding something that fit what they were looking for because I, of course, had several like different books and research articles and position papers and things that I could recommend so many different sports nutrition textbooks. But for someone, let's say a 19 year old minor leaguer, like they're not going to read that like that's way too overwhelming. And then as far as like cookbooks go, a lot of them were geared towards runner specific. Like there's a lot of endurance cookbooks out there. Um, but some of them have a ton of ingredients, ingredients that are really expensive, or they're just kind of overwhelming recipes. And when you look at my book, like some people will look at this and be like, these are the most basic recipes, but like, that's kind of also the point too, is I want the high school and the college aged athletes to be able to feel confident in cooking in the kitchen. Like I even have a whole section that just goes over cooking basics so that if you're confused about the difference between baking and roasting or broiling and boiling, like it goes over those things so that you can be really confident and learn how to, of course, fuel your body. There's kind of the, the, the punchline there, but yeah. So just really educating them on the basics of sports nutrition, as well as the recipes to help, to help them get there. 
Well, I saw this, and again, flipping through and looking through the different things, one of the things I liked in there is that you make a comparison because how does a business traveler, and I know, let's put this past year aside because a lot of people haven't been doing their normal travel, but as we get back into kind of a normal lifestyle from COVID, when we go back to business travel, what can a business traveler, what can somebody who travels maybe two or three weeks a month, what could they get out of this book? Because I like the correlation you make there between who, you, who your professional clients might be and what a business traveler might experience. Yeah, that's a great question. I actually just had a presentation I, I gave a while back to a group of CEOs who they are honestly like their schedules are just as worse, if not even, if not even more horrendous to look at than like a, an athlete's. Um, they are just always in meetings or doing something and eating becomes really hard when you're running a, such a large company. So um, there's a whole section of my book that's in no kitchen. So it's an NK, there's a little symbol there. And so it's all different recipes or snacks that meal snacks that you can make that don't require a full kitchen. And a lot of that came from when I um, was living with my husband, when he was playing in the minor leagues, we would be in extended stay hotels for long periods of time, or I'd be working with clients that were in and out of hotels. They didn't have access to a full kitchen. And so it was sending them different meal ideas and recipes that they could do with basically a microwave and a refrigerator. So it's basically just... You know, learning the types of foods again. So what foods you should eat and then very simple ways that you can cook them even with the most limited space and equipment. And some of the no kitchen do involve um, like a blender. So I do have some very... Um, like very health conscious uh, CEOs and athletes that do travel with a blender, just a small little blender, and they rinse it out usually in like the bathtub of a hotel. Um, and then I have some that bring an instant pot with them or a crock pot with them. And then that way they're able to make so many of the recipes in this book just with that one piece of equipment that you don't even need a full kitchen for. Yeah, because it really does. I've done a lot of travel in normal times of where it really does throw you off your eating schedule. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the reasons why I started playing with intermittent fasting. And I try. I do a lot of travel to Asia. I, I do a lot of work over in China and, and Southeast Asia where the fitness is really booming now. I'll, I'll go over there and do education workshops and, and speak at conferences to represent various equipment companies. And I don't know if you've traveled much around Asia, but sometimes the food quality is a little bit dodgy. To, to be, especially if you're staying in like a local hotel. So I got very good at like, okay, I'm not going to eat for 10 or 12 hours until I can go somewhere where I know and I can trust in the food security that I know the food's being prepared well. So yeah, it definitely can be a challenge to a challenge to eat well on the road. Now, one of the last questions I have that we haven't touched upon yet that you call out in, in the section on protein, you do a specific call out to collagen. And this is one of the questions I've had. You see so much stuff now. Two years ago, you never saw them on the store shelves. But even in Target the other week, I saw collagen protein for sale. What? Why is collagen protein a thing now, and is there any benefit from it? Yeah, collagen is definitely having a moment. There's a lot of hype around it. It's even in basically. I mean, it's it's kind of creeping into everything. There's collagen popcorn now, so it's definitely like a health fad. <laughs> yeah. Uh, definitely a health fad, but I will say that there are some benefits that we are. It's this is what happens often with with different um, 
like food marketing versus research. The research always takes some time to do. And sometimes food marketing marketing just like skyrockets before we have that evidence. And so we are finding some benefits as far as joint health, ligament health. I know there's um, some benefits in like post ACL injury coming back from that. Um, but collagen is often um, better absorbed when it's with vitamin C. Mm-hmm. So the one thing I will say with collagen is that I do have some athletes that they'll use that as like their main protein powder. So like post-workout, they'll be like, oh, well, I'm going to use collagen. And a downfall to that is collagen is not a very rich source in leucine, which is really important for muscle growth and repair compared to say like whey protein powder or even soy protein powder, or even a a plant-based blend. Um, so I will say that if your, if your goal is to gain and build and repair your lean muscle, collagen is not the best option for that, but it can definitely be added to your diet. If that's something that you know, if joint health and ligament health is something that you also want to focus on. Um, I would again, focus more so on just getting more protein in your diet in general, because of course, collagen is already produced naturally by the body each day. Um, if you're consuming a wide variety of amino acids, proline, glycine, then you're going to have that collagen production naturally, especially if you're consuming foods that are rich in vitamin C, that's the, that's also going to help boost collagen production. So is it necessary not really. Is it harmful? Probably not. I have some athletes that have mentioned to me that they've had some GI issues, some Mm -hmm. bloating, um, gas, things like that. So I think it's more so dependent on the person, but I think the main risk would just be cost. It does cost a lot of money. So, um, as far as incorporating food sources of collagen, you could do eggs, have some collagen naturally, of course, bone broth has some collagen as well. So if you're interested in incorporating those, um, into your diet, then you definitely could for some more collagen. Well, it's funny because bone broth is another thing I've seen popping up everywhere. Everywhere. I know. So trendy too. Well, you know, a few years ago you heard about, you know, anyway, that you, you get into all these little trendy things. But one little thing about the food marketing is I noticed um, in the grocery store that some of the Easter candy was marketed as, as gluten-free. And it's like, you know, here you are, high glycemic, but no, it's gluten-free. So yep. mm-hmm. it, it's funny how the market- It's like sweet tarts. Sweet tarts say fat-free. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> but, this is literally just pure sugar. <laughs> and, and that's what it is. Now to wrap it up, are there any supplements? I know in Fuel Your Body, your, your whole point is you want people to eat whole foods, you know, natural foods, because that is the best source of fuel mm-hmm. for our body. But as you reference, sometimes we just, with our schedules and with everything, it's hard to do that. So are there any supplements that, and, and again, this kind of goes with a caveat of checking with a medical provider about any, any issues, but are there any supplements that people might consider um, as being a, a way to, to add to what their normal diet might be? Yeah, I'd say there are four that I recommend most often um, to people. And again, this doesn't mean that every listener should go out and buy these. So please don't think that um, by any means. But I would say number one is vitamin D. Um, I do feel that almost every single client that walks, athlete that walks into my door has insufficient levels of vitamin D. I run blood tests and um, you would be shocked. Even people living in places like Florida that see the sun so often, um, they're just, they have insufficient levels. So vitamin D is one that I often um, recommend as well as creatine. Creatine, there are so many benefits, male, women, athletes, -athletes, non-athletes, even cognitive 
cognitive health, we're seeing benefits from creatine. So um, some fascinating benefits that, that come from supplementation. Creatine monohydrate is what I typically recommend. And then the other one would be omega-3 fatty acids. I hope that people would start to eat more fish um, and try to incorporate fatty fish into their diet. But of course, for some people, that's not always realistic. Like a lot of minor league players there. And I bring up the example of minor league players again, because it is such a large clientele that I work with. And, um, a lot of them, they're on long bus rides for mm-hmm. long periods of time. And then you have a post-game spread. That's not going to be wild caught salmon. It's probably going to be like pizza or more like, more like your mini whoppers from uh, burger King. Yes, yes, exactly. So very, very low budget to feed an entire team. And so the chances of them getting salmon multiple times a week is pretty, pretty slim. So omega-3s is another one I recommend. And then the last one is magnesium, um, especially with men as, as you age. So after age 30, your magnesium needs increase to 420 milligrams um, per day from 400. So it does get a little bit tricky to get 420 milligrams per day consistently of magnesium for some people, um, especially if you're not eating a ton of plants. And then you kind of also have to wonder about the bioavailability of that as well. So I always recommend magnesium bisglycinate, um, especially if someone is already having, I assess their diet first and and see how much magnesium they're actually getting in their diet to see if it's necessary. But um, if so, then that's also one that I would recommend. And out of no pure coincidence, I may be going to Whole Foods later today. No. <laughs> now, on, on that note, though, in all seriousness, I mean, you do offer consulting, right? You On your website, people can contact you about, uh, about either personal consultations, and you do have programs available for people who may want to follow a particular plan, correct? Absolutely, yeah. So, and I have a team of dietitians that we meet with athletes, non-athletes all over the world, or I should say mainly the U.S., but we do have some athletes in um, Korea, Japan that are playing overseas as well, but mainly in the U.S. Um, and yeah, we we love working with a wide variety of people, whether you're a highly competitive athlete or if you're just someone that wants to start a new exercise program for the first time. Awesome. And how can people get more information about what's your website? Give you, hey, that was a pitch for your website. I mean, come on. It was. It was. Uh, so my, web, my website is just Elite Nutrition. So it's E-L-E-A-T, EliteNutrition.com. And that's also my social media. You'll probably only really find me on Instagram. Um, that's where I'm most active, but it's just at Elite Nutrition. And that's elite, E-L-E-A-T. Yeah, little play on words there. Yep. Uh No, I like that. I'm going to have that down (laughs) below in the show notes. And then Fuel Your Body, that's just coming out, right? Is that released yet? Or or I know, I can't remember what the schedule was, but yeah, Fuel Your Body, where can people find that? So Fuel Your Body will be everywhere the books are sold starting May 11th. Uh, So depending on when this airs, it may already be available. It's sending out early on Amazon right now. So you can find it at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, um, IndieBound, basically any store near you that that sells books. Is this your first book, Angie? It's first ever book. And how's that feel? What's that feeling like to have that out? It feels really good. I'm I'm hoping that it's that everyone enjoys it as much as I enjoyed writing it, and and that a lot of athletes get so much out of it because you know how it is. You've written many books, right? It's mm-hmm. it's definitely a labor of love. <laughs> uh, yeah, I've written I've written my second's coming out in August, and I've done a couple I've done a couple chapters and stuff. But thank you, mm-hmm. um, thanks for boosting up the. I like you as a guest. You're a good guest. <laughs> You're very complimentary. <laughs> Um, but Angie Ashy, uh, sports nutrition, sports performance. I really, I enjoyed what I read in, um, in fuel your body. I'm about to go back and I was looking at some of the recipes. I'm like, I, I tried that. I mean, I, I'm got divorced about two years ago, so I've been having to relearn how to cook and, and everything. 
and do that for myself. And I, I, I'm a crock pot guy and I'm a big omelet guy. So I, I do a lot of like omelets and stuff and um, oh, for good. myself, even for dinner. So um, this definitely came at the right time because I need uh, I need more information about proper nutrition. So I really appreciate your time today and I, I appreciate the resource that you put together. Thank you so much for having me on. It's been great talk- talking with you. If you enjoyed that conversation, if you enjoy what you hear on the All About Fitness podcast, please take a moment, give it a quick review, subscribe to the podcast, and if you hear an episode you really like, feel free to share it among your network. Put in an email if you do an email list, share it with your friends, post on social media. The reason why I do this podcast is I want to help you learn how to use exercise to enhance your quality of life. That's my goal. Exercise can help us achieve optimal health. Exercise can help us get out and enjoy the things that we love doing. And as my upcoming book, Ageless Intensity, covers, exercise can also help us slow down the aging process. And that's why when, when I talk, when I, when I want to talk nutrition, I go with people who are qualified to talk about it. As I mentioned in introduction, yes, I know that people can read a lot of the research. I know that people can read a lot of different books out there. And there's so many different philosophies about nutrition. You can be a vegan, you can be vegetarian, you, I mean, there's so many, you can be keto. The thing is, when it comes to nutrition, it's important that you eat all the macronutrients. Your body needs carbohydrates, but you want to make sure you eat clean carbohydrates. You eat unprocessed, natural carbohydrates. That makes a big difference in your body. Your body needs protein. And yes, your body absolutely needs fats but the right kind of fats, fats from fish, nuts, the omega-3s, the omega-6s, poly- and monounsaturated fats. Especially for us guys, we have to realize that healthy fat is an important component of HDL cholesterol. And HDL, high-density lipoprotein cholesterol, is an important component of testosterone. Men will produce less testosterone during the aging process. However, if you lift heavy weights, if you train with intensity... And if you eat the right diet, your body can sustain testosterone production. <laughs> Trust me, <laughs> it works. Go with it. That, that, that was a fun conversation. And one that, as you can hear, Angie and I connected. My, my parents, I don't talk about this that much, but my parents grew up in Lincoln, Nebraska. So when I saw that that's where Angie was from, I, it was an, an immediate connection there. It's one of the reasons why I wanted to speak with her. And it really is important. And I need to find, I want to find the right person because... I want you to understand that that the field, the fitness, the the commercial fitness industry, the commercial health club industry has been around for a little bit more than 50 years. I work with Nautilus and Nautilus was invented. Nautilus machines were invented in 1970. And they're one of the things that really popularized health clubs and fitness in the 1970s. And it really is. It's Boyd Epley, University of Nebraska. If you want to know one of the reasons why the Nebraska football team was dominant in the late 70s and 80s, that's because Nebraska football was one of the first collegiate football teams to do a formal strength and conditioning program. Boyd Epley, as I mentioned during the interview, Boyd Epley was a javelin, I believe he was javelin thrower. Boyd Epley was a thrower who got tired of having his butt kicked and started doing the research and realized that the Eastern Europeans and Soviets were doing strength training to promote their sports. And here in the, in the States, we didn't if you have a kid right now, and I've talked about this in other podcasts, I know, but if you have a kid right now that's in a strength and conditioning program in high school, 
the chances are, you heard Bobby and I talk about this a couple episodes ago, Bobby Congleton, the chances are is that your kid in high school is probably getting better strength and conditioning coaching than professional athletes did 25, 30 years ago. I know that sounds crazy, but it's true. Because for years, for years, we thought strength training here in the States, we thought strength training, weightlifting was primarily for aesthetics to look better. It's only, it's been the last 30, 40 years, maybe 30 years since mid, 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 late 80s, early 90s, when here in the States, athletes have really understood the role that strength and conditioning plays year round. Now, I know this was a podcast about nutrition, but the same thing bolts through for nutrition. You heard Angie talking about eating at Burger King before going to swimmies or going to swim practice. And how many of us did that as kids, right? We, we didn't know anything about nutrition. But the fact is, nutrition is fuel for your body, hence the name of her book. I love that. When, when I got this information about Angie, I knew I wanted to schedule her on the podcast right away. And I really, I mean it. I, I am a bit, I've loved reading through her book. It's a great insights into nutrition. If you're looking for a way to really, an eating program to follow, just be smart about it. I shared about this on my quick fit tip. Be smart about nutrition. Be a good to high B student. Eat right 85, 90% of the time. 10% of the time, that's about one meal a week, right? If you eat two or three meals a day, we're looking at what, 14, 20 meals a week. One or two of those meals, if you take you know, one meal is 5%, so two meals out of 20 meals, 10% of your week, you can have a little bit of fun with that. Then there you go. You're a good high B student, low A student. That's what you need for nutrition. And Angie's book will help you get there. And especially as we get a little bit older, nutrition is key. Nutrition keeps your body running. Nutrition helps support your tissues. And I really, I, I want to find, like I said, I want to find the right person to speak with, uh, the right kind of historian, because it's my premise that if th- today's athletes, and, and I'm thinking of people like LeBron James, I'm thinking of people like Tom Brady, people who are performing at a high level. As I, as I record this, Actually, Phil Mickelson just won what the PGA Championship at the age of 50. One of the reasons why athletes are performing so well into what's what considered old for being an athlete into the late 30s and early 40s, part of it is nutrition. And I really think you know, there's all this talk about performance-enhancing drugs. And yes, athletes do take supplemental you know, exo- exogenous testosterone, exogenous growth hormone. That just means the t- hormones from outside the body. But reality is a proper strength and conditioning program, along with a proper nutrition program, along with proper healthy lifestyle habits, like getting good sleep, like getting tissue repair, like getting massage therapy, all those things can help extend an athlete's career by years and help them achieve optimal performance. Years ago, an athlete maybe topped out in their late 20s, early 30s. But as we're seeing and will continue to see, if athletes eat right, if athletes train right, they can perform well into their late 30s and early 40s. So what's that mean for us if we're not if we're not playing for contracts? That means that if you do the right things with nutrition, if you exercise regularly, and I recommend exercising almost every day of the week. Doesn't mean you need to train at a high intensity every day of the week, but my ebook Total Body Core Training really goes into a program that you can follow, periodizing your workouts. You should work out really hard two to three days a week, which means two to three days a week you work out relatively easy. But the thing is you have to move every day. Your body needs it. You have to eat right every day. 
Yes, you can have one or two fun meals during the week, but you need to be smart about what you put in your body. Anyway, I highly recommend Angie's book, Fuel Your Body. There'll be a link down below in the show notes. Pick it up and you will appreciate the nutrition information you get from it. Pick up one of the ebooks, Functional Core Training or Dynamic Anatomy. That will help you learn more about how your body functions so you can find the right workouts that will work for you. Shoot me an email, Pete at PeteMcCallFitness.com. That's Pete at PeteMcCallFitness.com. Check out the All About Fitness Podcast channel on YouTube. That's All About Fitness Podcast on YouTube. And as always, thank you for stopping by. And I do look forward to having you join me for future episodes of All About Fitness.